We're glad you came today. Uh, it is Communion Sunday, so if you didn't get Communion, please pick one up in the back. Uh, we'll be doing that a little later. And uh, we certainly pray Pastor Steve's back in full force this week. But uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. It's been quite a while since I spoke here. And then as we were driving up, we recalled the last time we were here, we thought we were coming to hear Steve, happened to be Bernie Neffley, preaching that Sunday. It was a very snowy day that we wished we had stayed in Altoona, but we made it here. And uh, so uh, what a beautiful day today compared to that snowy day the last time we were here. I am uh, the Southeast Region team leader for the, the Alliance and been working with Steve, though, for many years. We've served on uh, the License Ordination and Consecration Committee for many years together and other other things throughout the years. And uh, consider him a, a, a dear friend, and we certainly praise back back at it next week. I asked him when he asked me to preach if there was a particular text or theme that he would like me to address, and he said no. And at first I was wrestling with uh, maybe going to the potter and clay from Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, but the Lord just kept impressing me about communion. And the, the largest passage that the Bible has to talk to us about communion is from, getting a little feedback there, sorry, is from 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, the, the Corinthians themselves were kind of a troubled church. And I want to assure you, first off, I haven't heard any rumors about you guys. And uh, coming, coming from a, a passage in a church that's very troubled uh, is, is not at all the Lord saying, hey, this is a troubled church, come... But as we go through this, as we see what was going on in Corinth, every one of us, as we strive to, to walk closely with the Lord, as we try to lead a holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, our, our sinful nature keeps welling up and trying to cause trouble. So as we go through this, uh, I think it'll be clear that, uh, one, I didn't come here with an agenda, but that uh, I need to... Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Sorry. Got to learn the clicker, Steve. And by the way, for anybody else joining us this morning, we're, we're very glad that you're here. And uh, those streaming online, we're glad that uh, we have that technology and you're able to join with us. As we mentioned, it is Communion Sunday. Sometimes we call this meal that we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And when we think of the Lord's Supper, we're thinking back at the time where Jesus was going through his arrest and being scorched and beaten and spit upon and nailed to the cross and where he suffered and literally bled, his body being truly broken and his blood being shed for us, his burial, and then, praise the Lord, his resurrection. And so when we think of the Lord's Supper, we're thinking of that Passover meal that he had with his disciples and that time he spent with them. But we also call this communion. And it's a celebration of the fact that we have been reconciled to God. We were enemies of God before we came to Christ. And we've been reconciled to Him. And in that reconciliation and what He did on the cross, He also removed the barriers that divide us from each other. And so we're reconciled to Christ and we're reconciled to each other. And so it's truly communion where we come together to commune with our Savior but to commune as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And we're there together in doing that. 
This meal is also called Eucharist. And uh, usually more formal churches, uh, liturgical churches, call it Eucharist. The word simply means thanksgiving. And that is truly what this meal is. It's a meal of thanksgiving, thanking Jesus for what he's done for us, thanking Jesus for what he continues to do in us. And, and so it's a great celebration. Tell you a little story to get things started, and I'm going to set this story, and then we'll come back to it. Um, when I was on the USS Guam, I was a chaplain in the Navy for 22 years, both active and reserve, mixed all through my career. Uh, I was the ship's chaplain for the Guam, and it, it had a ship's company of four to 500, and when we brought the Marines, it was an amphibious attack ship, when we brought the Marines aboard, the, the total population would go somewhere between 800 and 1,100 people aboard. And when we were at sea, well, the officers eat in the officers' mess, the, the wardroom, and when we were at sea, the department heads would have a sit-down meal with our executive officer. The commanding officer had his own mess. Occasionally, you'd be invited to eat with him, but normally you, you ate with the executive officer. And at sea, we'd have this formal sit-down meal. We didn't have to get all dressed up, just a clean uniform, come, and we'd sit there. And it was an enjoyable time with the leaders of the ship to, to be able to spend together. You came in and you stood around, you came early, and when the XO came in, he would invite you to sit, and you sat by rank, and, and I was in a good position on that ship. I was kind of in the middle, so I was somewhere in the middle of the table, and we'd stand behind our seats, and the cha or he would look at me and say, Chaplain, would you pray for the meal? And so I'd pray, and then he'd invite us all to sit down, and we'd have the meal. Occasionally, you'd be late. If you were late to the meal, you would come to the door, and stand there until the XO acknowledged you, and you'd say, permission to join the mess, sir. Now, he could have, if he had had a reason that he wanted you to go do something first, he could have said, you go do that first, and then come and join us. But most of the time, if you were late, he'd say, permission granted, and you'd come in, and you'd join the table and sit there. So keep that in mind as we continue on. But the passage we're going to be looking at comes from 1 Corinthians 11, and it says... But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. That's not a very good news, is it? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So right when Paul is starting to address the Corinthians about how they're doing communion, he's saying, hey, there's a problem here. In fact, when you get together, it's not creating good, it's actually worse. Whoop. There we go. Paul continues, and in part I believe, I, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you, do you hear the sarcasm there? Those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you've come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk, or one gorges himself too. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What do we learn here? Well, first of all, there's a right way to come to dinner. I don't know how you were raised, but... Uh, I was at least to have a clean face and hands. 
and, and when I joined Debbie's house, when we got married, um, even before children, she insisted I come with a shirt on. And back then, I looked pretty good without a shirt. But I had to wear a shirt when I came to dinner. There's a right way to come to dinner. And there's a right way to come to this dinner as well. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. What were the problems in in Corinth? Well, first of all, he mentions in verse 18, there were divisions. They had these things dividing them. So let's just take a quick gander back at some of the divisions they have. I'm putting some of the scriptures up on there, but I may not read all of them just for the sake of time. But in the first verse, or the first chapter in the 10th verse, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there was various things dividing this congregation. And the first one we find was that they were arguing about who they followed. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Peter. And then there's always some spiritual Iser in the in the group. Well, I follow Christ, and they were arguing about who they followed. And sometimes churches get mired in this too, don't they? I have some favorite commentators, some favorite theologians, some favorite Christian authors that I like to read. Um, but sometimes churches start arguing about this author or that theologian, and and they argue about that. And then there's usually somebody. Well, I just use the Bible. Let's face it, we all need some help from time to time and some people that have studied the languages deeper than we have and all of those things are important issues. And, and yet, sometimes we can allow them to become divisive. And so, Paul's addressing that strife. And he says, you know, I can't, I, I can't feed you solid food. I need to give you milk. And even now, you are not yet ready for you're still in the flesh. He's pointing out to them, you're not living a spiritual life in the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to change you and allowing Him to unite you. You're still living in your flesh. You're still living in your sinful nature and allowing these things to to divide you and and break you up. Then in the fifth chapter, we find an even worse problem. It seems that there was a man living with his father's wife, not his own mother, but one of his father's wives. This this son had taken his father's wife for his own. And Paul points out, even the pagans think this is awful. And yet you're arrogant about it. You're, you're celebrating. In other words, they were saying, well, we're covered by grace. So it doesn't matter what we do. And Paul points out, no, you need to exercise church discipline here. And if there's not repentance, you need to, to cast them out. And, and so another thing, dividing them. In the sixth chapter, they, they're, if they get into a fight, they're taking each other to court. And Paul says... Why in the world would you go before a civil court instead of coming and allowing the church leaders to help arbitrate the differences between you? Chapter 7 deals with marriage, divorce, singleness, widows, widowers. Most of us, when we study the Word, we know what the Bible tells us about marriage. We know what it talks to us about sexuality and the expressions of, of sex. It's amazing how many times there's a church division Especially like if a, if a leader's child is living in sin and the pastor says, I, I really can't perform this marriage. How they get all upset because the pastor won't compromise his own view of Scripture. It can be very divisive. 
In chapter 8, there's disputes over Christian freedom. And boy, um, at least the time I grew up, the church was so legalistic. We want to get all these rules down so that if you're just doing the rules, you're a Christian. And that's not what Christianity is all about, is it? It's about the heart and whether we're truly living in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so they dealt with food offered to idols and all that legalism in there. So when we come to chapter 11, talking about communion, he says there's these divisions that just are dividing you and causing you to to argue with one another. And then you come for this love feast. And the context of this is they would come and on their communion Sundays, they would meet in a, in a place together and they'd all bring a basket of food. But it wasn't like our potlucks. They weren't sharing the food. They were coming and some of them were gorging themselves on fine food and getting drunk on their wine. And sometime in the middle of that, they would have communion. They would share the the bread and the cup. But there were others in the same room who were going hungry and didn't have anything to eat. And Paul says, this this is just, just wrong. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. The Lord's Supper is more than bread and cup. It's not the elements. It's not... We're doing it different these days. It's not the little wafer and the juice in that cup. It's not whether they've been consecrated or not. It's not even whether or not you consume the bread or the cup. Now, we do not believe that the bread and the and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Christ. We don't believe that it actually becomes Christ. In fact, Paul in this very pa- passage later says we eat bread. If if it actually became Christ, he would say we eat Christ, but we don't. We eat bread and we drink the juice or the wine. So what do we learn here? Paul says, let a person examine himself then. And so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that as children of God, our Lord disciplines us when we don't behave the way we ought to. Now, there are some who would argue that this becoming ill, weak, dying, that they must not be Christians. I don't believe that's the case. I think these people were solidly Christians. They were just leading carnal lives. They were, they were sinning and unwilling to, to repent of it. And, and going ahead saying they were having this communion together when Paul says, that's not what you're doing. And he says, some are ill, some have died. Discipline is something we need to take seriously in our Christian lives. God's goal, Christ's goal for us, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Any of us who have been parents or are parents, um, we know that we try to raise our children to become obedient, to become God-fearing, people who walk with Christ. And in order to do that, because they're born with a sinful nature, just like we were, um, it takes some discipline to do that. I know... um, some of you may not believe at all in, in corporal, is that the right word? Corporal punishment. Um, we didn't have to use it much with our children and only at a certain period, but sometimes the pain was taking away um, 
privileges and those kind of things, there comes an age when that's much more painful that they would have wished Dad would have smacked them a couple of times. <laughs> but uh, I would often say to my boys, when we were going to go do something that it was clear they didn't want to do, I would say, we're going to go do this and you're going to be happy. Or you can have pain and we're going to go do it and you're going to be happy. The choice is yours. Does God ever do that to us? I believe he does. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. And then it is New Testament teaching too. In Hebrews, this is a little longer passage. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have, been, that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? Father of spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. If we're children of the Lord, if we know Christ, if we're in Him, if we've repented of our sins, received Him, received the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, when we insist on disobedience, He's going to discipline us. It continues, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline in our lives is always for our good. Us earthly parents, we hope that that's true. When we discipline our own children, we hope it's for their good. We want to do it right. We want to do it in a way that helps them to develop. God in His all-knowing being always does it for our good when He disciplines us. Let me share a couple things in my own life when I was... I know I was disciplined. I got saved early in life, five and a half, and growing up in my dad's house was very easy to be a Christian. You didn't question, do I need to go to church? You didn't question, do I need to be a part of the youth group? You know, just growing up, you know, you don't, you don't question those things. And thankfully, I wasn't rebellious. I liked going. So as I was heading to college, he shook my hand and he said, it's up to you now. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And he explained, you're going to have to make some decisions here. Well, when I went to college, I went to Barron Campus up in Erie, Penn State, and uh, I wanted to be a Christian. I, there was never a time I didn't want to be a Christian. But in those first two years, I was asking the question, how close to the world can I be and be okay? And there was a lot of conviction through there. I was on the wrestling team, the only true and pure sport. Now, let that one sink in because it's true. Um, my claim to fame in wrestling is not who I beat but who I wrestled. I was just an average wrestler. But it was way out of whack in my priorities. In my freshman year, I separated this elbow. That was the end of the year. But I came back bigger, stronger, faster. 
in that year, I dislocated my shoulder, and the surgeon said, I could fix it for you, but you can't wrestle. And I was thick-headed, and it was way out of priority range. I said, well, I'm going to wrestle. And he said, well, it won't maim you, but you'll need help getting it back in. So coach put it in, I think, about 13 times that season. Kind of took the joy of my priorities away. At the same time, praise the Lord, Debbie and I started dating, and she was more serious in her walk with the Lord. And the Lord finally brought me to that point where I realized the question isn't how close to the world can I be and be okay. The question is how close to Jesus can I be? And when I made that turn, what a difference in my life it made. And the joy of the Lord returned. Those two years when I was living my own priorities were awful. But when I yielded to Christ, it was, it was good. And He allowed me over the years to coach wrestling, to uh, have a son that wrestled. Just I was still able to take part in the sport, but the Lord got my attention. He disciplines us. There was another time that I listened better. I was sitting in a service. I was on that side of the church. There was an altar call and there were people going forward getting right with the Lord. And nothing was going on in here. It was just dead. And the Lord convicted me. Aren't you excited that people are getting right with me? And, and thankfully I listened to the Holy Spirit that time. I didn't need more discipline. Just him drawing my attention to that, and I confessed that to him and was excited again when God moves in people's lives. He disciplines for us for our good. So as we think about the problems that were happening in Corinth, we need to ask the question, if all this is true, and God disciplines us if we do it wrong, should we eat this meal? Should we, should, should we do this? By the way, the answer is yes before I go any further. First of all, it's a celebration of forgiveness. It's a celebration of this reconciliation that God has brought into our lives, that He's made us one with Himself and one with each other. And so it's this great opportunity to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Jesus invites us to come together to eat. But notice as in the passage we're going to read in just a second, that it's not just an invitation to accept or reject. It's an imperative. It's an order. In the Alliance, we call it an ordinance. It's, it's ordained by Christ to be done. So Jesus orders us to come and, and to remember Him and remember His death, proclaim His death until He comes. Let's read that passage. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We're ordered to come together. And I believe the Lord has, has asked us to do this regularly so that on a regular basis we need to ask some questions of ourselves and, and, and ask the Lord, Lord, reveal in me anything that's wrong. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said if, if you're coming with your offerings to the altar and you realize somebody has something against you, go, go take care of that first. Then bring your offerings in. Well, sometimes we may need to do that. 
Other times, it's just things in our own attitude, our own heart, like the time that I wasn't excited when people were getting right with the Lord. And we just need, Lord, show me in my own life what I need to, to, to allow you to change. Forgive me for those things that are sin. Forgive me for the things you show me. I, the Lord doesn't hide our sin from us. If we ask Him to show it to us, He's, he's going to show us. And, and Scripture is very clear. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So He wants us to come. He wants us to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He wants us to remember that He suffered and died, that He took our sins upon Himself. And on that cross, He cried out, Father, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? He was judged in our place. And when He was done on the cross, He said it's finished and He died. He died in our place. He was buried because of our sin. Praise the Lord, we do this until He comes. He is alive. He rose from the dead. So it is the Lord's Supper. But it's also when we come together realizing we who were enemies of God are at peace with Him. And we who had all these things that divide people have the opportunity in Christ to have all of those walls torn down and to be at peace with each other. And praise the Lord, it's Eucharist. It's Thanksgiving. I remember as a, as a kid, the pastor I had from zero to ten. I can still remember him in communion. Uh, Reverend Earl Dougherty. I don't know if any of you ever knew him. You'd have to be pretty old in the seats to, to have met him. But he would sit down as the elements were being passed out and, and he'd be praying and it wasn't put on at all. But you'd just hear him keep saying, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And it was very sincere. It is a time of celebration and thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us. So communion is far more than just a symbol. Now we believe that the bread symbolizes His broken body. The cup symbolizes the blood that was spilled, bringing in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit to our lives. But it's more than just a symbol. Jesus meets us in a special way when the body, the bride of Christ, is gathered together and He's present in our midst as we do this in remembrance of Him. So, back to my story. Permission to join the mess. We're to examine ourselves. Jesus has invited us, commanded us to come to His table. Thankfully, He really wants us to come. Listen to what He said to the disciples at that first meal. He said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus earnestly wants to meet with us this morning as we share communion together. Let's take a moment just to take time to pray and ask the Lord to reveal anything in us that we need to confess to Him. If we'll do that with sincerity of heart, He's promised to forgive us and purify us so that we can come to His table with joy with great expectation of meeting Him at the table, to sit down with Him and with each other and rejoice in what He's done. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for who You are and what You're doing in our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank You that Your body was broken for us, Your blood was shed 
that we would have peace with You and with each other. Lord, reveal anything in our lives that we need to confess to You as we continue to pray.